Once again, good evening, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our Good Friday service 2013. It hardly seems possible that we're already a quarter of the way through this year, but here we are, all spared, and God was willing. As you can see by the table set in front of us, we'll, tonight we'll be receiving communion. So I think that we should think this way, that we have much to consider and we have much to be thankful for. One last time, for those of you who do not know, um, this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, we're going to have two identical, identical services, one at 8.30 a.m. and one at 10.30 a.m. with a light breakfast at 9.30 And then again, we'll find ourselves having much to look forward to and much to be thankful for. So it'd be wonderful to see all of you here this coming Lord's Day. Now to the Bible. If you have a Bible, Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be reading from, page 832 in the church Bibles. I'm going to read the first four verses, and then I'm just going to quote the last verse or the last uh, part of verse 20 of chapter 2. Um, by memory. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then from verse 20, the latter part, chapter 2 of Galatians, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you would, please, let's bow bow together as we seek God's help and blessing this evening. God and Father, you are our best thought by day or by night, even on a Friday night, Father. We would ask that you would make this book tonight live in us, show us ourselves, show us our Savior, And make this book, for your son's sake, live in us. Amen. God is love. This is one of the first eternal truths that is expressed and understood on some level by both Christians and non-Christians. In all the great civil debates of our time, when God's name is invoked by those on whatever side of the issue, God is love is a hook that each side hangs their hat on. And when it comes to love, every Christian is in great danger of having a love for God or a love for others that grows cold, that grows lifeless and ineffective. When Christian love grows cold, we appear to be less and less like Jesus Christ. So we lose patience with others far too quickly when the Bible teaches us that love suffers long. When Christian love grows cold, we keep long lists about how others have hurt us. When the Bible teaches love keeps no record of wrong. When Christian love grows cold, we become envious of others' advantages and privileges. When the Bible teaches us that love does not 
envy. And when Christian love grows cold, we become unkind, ill-mannered. And we tend to think about our rights and needs as first and best when the Bible teaches us that love is kind, that Christian love is well-mannered and gracious and doesn't seek its own. Those, those are our temptations in love. And I suspect if we're going to be honest tonight, when it comes to this kind of love, our progress is at times very, very slow and our victories sometimes meager. And the only person who has never failed in love on this earth was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to God's love, God would have us know tonight his love has no fuller expression for humanity than in the giving of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our sins. It's very, very important that we understand that this evening, which is what the apostle Paul is telling us in these verses. He's telling us as as an apostle, as a fully authorized voice for God, so he can't be questioned. He was sent by God, verse 1, and sent by God's son. And he's telling us that there, that there needn't be any reason any longer to ever wonder or ever to question God's love. And there needn't be any reason for us to try and define God's love our own way. Because what we find in the Apostle Paul, the, again, the authorized voice for God, is a person that is absolutely clear on God's unchanging love. And we've already read it this evening, that the Son of God loved me. And gave himself for me. Because Paul had discovered on a Damascus road and then immediately preached. Because how could anyone keep such good news to themselves? That God had not counted Paul's sins against Paul. Because God was counting Paul's sins against Christ. In other words, in order for a full provision to be made for Paul's sins. It was necessary that God himself should be incarnate. And that the Son of God becomes sin for Paul and so suffer physical and mental pain and then death to pay the debt that he didn't owe for Paul's sins. And what is true for Paul can be true for us. So if he, Paul, or we, or the churches in Galatia that Paul is writing to would ever be tempted to to measure God's love by mere externals achieved or even externals given, if he or we or they would measure God's love by, by mere earthly qualities of our life or by the length of our life or by our physical health or our physical prowess or our material wealth. If we would try to measure God's love by our external beauty, whether it's given or not, or by talent or by skill or by our status or in the 21st century by our location or good times, or how things are going, or any kind of family bliss, if we would be tempted to measure God's love only by this way, then if you're thinking God would appear to be unfair or cruel as these things come to God's people and all people in different measures, many times for reasons unknown, and they will wax and wane in a fallen world, they're not going to go on forever as God gives those things for reasons that God knows in different measures for reasons that God knows best. Which is why Paul is taking his readers in the churches of Galatia and he's taking us here this evening to the cross. He's writing to these churches and his readers so that that we and they will get everything right about God's love. 
which means that we'll get everything right about Jesus, which means we're going to get everything right about the cross because Jesus on the cross is the only possible way to begin to fully understand and to know and to feel God's love for all eternity. I'm going to say that again. Jesus on the cross is the only possible way to begin to fully understand and to know and feel God's love for all eternity. Which then takes us to these verses and three little phrases that we're going to hang our words on this morning or this evening, excuse me. The first of which is on purpose. Jesus goes to the cross on purpose for our sins to rescue us. Those are our little hooks. On purpose for our sins to rescue us. Now this will not tell us everything in relation to the cross, but it will tell us the essential things as we consider how Jesus loves us and how God loves us in the cross. First of all, then, Jesus goes to the cross on purpose. Isn't that 4A? If your Bibles are open there, he gave himself. So if we would ever be tempted to think of Jesus as a defenseless victim that he, that we, um, that he just needed some help because of his predicament, then we have never truly understood the passion of Jesus Christ. If as a result of our reading or a sentimental version of the portrayal of Jesus on film or a play or wherever you may find it, which leads us to think that Jesus is a defenseless victim, then we are in the wrong. Because when we open our Bibles and consider them and hold to their line, they they tell us over and over again that Jesus is not a defenseless, helpless victim, but rather Jesus is a man on a mission in full control in the ordering of the events before him. So, for example, Jesus had to right off the bat withhold the temptations of the evil one that offered to Jesus a kingdom without a cross. And Jesus said no to him. Jesus resisted his own friends who told, who told them. They did their best to say, Jesus, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to die. You don't need to do that. There must be another way. And Jesus said no to them. And Jesus resisted in the garden, the, the, the all-out onslaught of hell to keep him from going to the cross. And, and he leaves his little prayer meeting with his father, resolute, going on purpose to the cross. Which is why Paul told us he gave himself. He put himself forward while over and over again, the kingdom of evil and the kingdom of man try to get him to withhold himself. And how else would you explain what my family and I discovered Monday night when we were reading through John 18? John 18 shows us that Jesus keeps putting himself forward. The soldiers come to the garden and John says this, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. He goes out to meet them and he says to them, who is it that you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And then he says, I am he. And then then they fall back and fall to the ground. We all laugh. They just fell to the ground. And so he has to ask them again. And they tell him again. Or they ask him again and Jesus tells them again, I am he. I mean, it's like, guys, if you're looking for me, Here I am. And how do you explain Jesus telling one of the disciples who grabs a sword, he just tells him, put that thing away, it's pointless. Matthew records for us that he tells the swordsman disciple, don't you realize that I could call my father in heaven and he could put under my charge legions of angels, 
a whole angelic host that could take hold of everything that was happening here. And even his disciples didn't understand this because at that moment when Jesus said that thing about the angels, Matthew tells us they all deserted him. Now, they weren't clear, but we have to be clear. Jesus goes to the cross on purpose. This is not some cruel twist of fate. This is not a plan B because Jesus was unable to accomplish plan A. There is no circumstance that Jesus or his well-loved children will ever encounter that will prove too much for Jesus, and certainly not at this cross. John's gospel says it like this, Jesus speaking here. These are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays his, down, his life down for the sheep. I lay down my life only to take it up again. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to put my life down on Friday, and then I'm going to take my life up on Sunday morning. He goes on to say that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Now, you think with me. Is there anyone else in the whole of the universe can say such a thing and hold to it? You see, the claims of Jesus Christ does not argue for its place in history. It doesn't, it doesn't argue for its place in the civil arena. Don't mistake Jesus' humility, his patience, his seeming inaction due to some kind of frailty. No, Jesus Christ goes to the cross on purpose. That's our first point. He goes to the cross on purpose. Secondly, he goes to the cross for our sin. Verse 4b. Question, why, why does Jesus go to the cross? Why, why does the Bible have so much to say about the cross? Why does the Bible constantly remind us over and over again about the cross of Jesus Christ? Well, it's pretty simple. It is because we here, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us here have turned to our own ways. Even today, many of us would admit that today we turn to our own ways. Because we are by nature in the wrong with God. Because we are by nature on the broad road that leads to death. Because by nature, in a thousand different ways, we tend to make ourselves the very center of the universe. By nature, by nature, each of us have a little bit of Frank Sinatra in us. And we like to do things our way. And so the Bible says that we're just like sheep. Sheep who have gone astray. Sheep who can't get on the narrow path. So we need an act of God. We, we need a shepherd. You mean a good shepherd? Yes, a good shepherd. A good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. And then the Bible tells us that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, in the cross, all the portals to God that sin shut were fully open, the only way they could be. How can we have peace with God? How can we have access to God? How can we be adopted by God? How can we have everlasting with God, everlasting life with God, and on and on? These, these things do not come to us by chance. They do not come to us for our religious devotion, our commitment. So they do not come to us by us. The prideful person can't get this. These things, these much-needed things, only come to us by Jesus' death. 
as Jesus on the cross took the place of sinners, taking all of God's necessary judgment on sin. Why necessary? Because from time to time, you'll hear people say, well, maybe there was another way. I mean, maybe there's another way that God could have saved so that Jesus really didn't have to die. And sometimes people think that there was another way. There could have been some other way. Why was this judgment necessary? Well, it was necessary because of God's nature and God's holiness. It's necessary because of God's righteousness, his love, and God's love for justice. It's necessary because God is so pure and holy. He must turn his face away from sin. Therefore, again, unless someone is able to stand in our place, our situation is absolutely hopeless. And that is the story of the gospel. The Lord loves me and gave himself for me. Loved ones, that is love. That's love. So that everything rotten about us was placed on Christ, and everything lacking in us was given to us in Christ. So what we have in the cross is the appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the Son of God. In the cross, we have Jesus bearing what was ours and giving us what is his. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is a sacrifice that needs no repetition and needs no supplement. There is nothing we can add to it that would make us more right with God. Just as I am, the song says, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. In other words, our only hope in life and in death is this. Christ has fully paid for all our sins by his precious blood that he spilled at Calvary. Jesus goes to the cross on purpose. Jesus Christ goes to the cross for our sins. Jesus goes to the cross to rescue us. That's verse 4c, to rescue us from this present evil age. The world is still a dark place, isn't it? This present evil age is still the present evil age. All you have to do is just wake up in the morning and get online and read the New York Times, the Washington Post, read your own newspapers. This is the present evil age. And so Jesus' rescue takes us from darkness and moves us to light. He takes us from being a slave to fear and sin and guilt and anger and pessimism and selfishness and greed and lust and pride, all the marks of this present evil age. And he moves us to light and to life and love and joy, and righteousness, and optimism, and generosity, and humility, and service. So when we become converted, Jesus doesn't pull us out of this world and take us straight to heaven. Not from earth to heaven, not yet. But he puts us in a whole new realm, in a whole new kingdom, with a whole new principle embedded in every genuine Christian. And Jesus did this all the time. He did this with Zacchaeus. Every time I think of Zacchaeus and a tree, I always think of Danny DeVito in a tree. And Jesus took Danny DeVito out of greedy world, out of the wicked world of cheaters, 
and he took him out of that world into generous world. And people said, what happened to Zacchaeus? And Jesus said, salvation. Today, salvation is coming to this house. So, so Danny was moved. He'd been rescued from this present evil age. And eventually he and all those like him will be moved to heaven. But in the meantime, we don't have to conform to the pattern of this evil age. So we don't have to conform to any kind of earthly fad or lines of thought. We don't have to thirst for, more, for mere worldly pleasures. Eugene Peterson defines wonderfully this present age when he translates Galatians 5, 19 and following. Listen to how he defines it. This present evil age. Repetitive, loveless, intimate relationships. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, and powerlessness to be loved or to love, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly distortions of community. And loved ones, if we are Christians, then we've moved from that realm. Because Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this realm. From this present evil age according to the will of God. We might drive through that realm, but we will never stay in that realm. Martin Luther, on one occasion, trying to encourage one of his colleagues who was struggling with sin. I think I've read this to you before, but it's so good. So, people, so few people say this to others who are struggling with sin. His colleague was struggling with sin to the point of despair, and, and Luther writes him this note, which in part says, Learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, and I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You became what you were not, so that I might become what I am not, according to the will of God our Father. And who else could have planned this but God? That God could fashion a plan that would set sinners free from his wrath and place them in the new age with a new principle. So God in Christ takes the hardest seat, substituting himself for the vilest sinner. And he plans for his son to go to the cross purposely for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Because if there was any other way for us to be accepted by God, if there was any other way for us to be right with God, then as Paul says in Galatians 2, then Christ died for nothing. So there's no half measures here. It's either all Christ or it's not any of Christ, which warrants the question, even on a night like this, doesn't it? Have you ever had that moment, that time in your life when you said to Christ something on the order of the, I am sorry for my sins? 
Please save me because you're the only one who can take me out of this present evil age. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Take me out of this evil age and bring me to yourself. Loved ones, I can guarantee you that if you ask Jesus those things in that way, he'll save you. He'll save you. J.I. Packard on one occasion gave, gave this little quote of gospel mathematics. It's this. To add to the gospel is to subtract from the gospel. And a subtracted gospel is no gospel at all. So this evening, Good Friday 2003, as we begin to head towards the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are either trusting in ourselves alone we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. This week I was reminded by a hymn that I used to sing a long time ago when I was just a wee little boy. It's amazing that I can still remember this, but the hymn had the line that went like this. Wounded for me, wounded for me, there on the cross Christ was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. I sure hope that means something to all of us this evening. We're going to have a time of brief reflection before we tend to the Lord's table. So if you would, just pray together with me. As I pray and say amen, the time of reflection will come and just quietly think about the cross, about what you've just heard, about Christ. Let, let this time be useful. Our gracious God and Father, what is man that you are mindful of him? We would ask that you would give us the grace we need to think through these things this evening. We ask God for the grace to teach them to ourselves and to others to cherish these things and to rely on these things every day for our standing with you and to treat our fellow men and women with a carefulness being saved by grace calls for. And so we ask this tonight, Father, for Jesus' sake.